for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. word as um, we lead into our 204th episode. Next week is going to be our final episode before I stop for the summer. We're going to talk about engagement. But I just wanted to make you aware that in response to popular demand, we are going to run um, a program, an open management training program in September. We're just getting people to register interest at the moment. So you can go to the Actus uh, website I've been running training. We ran a lot of open courses, uh, virtual courses over COVID and uh, we did lots of it. And then actually, I think people obviously wanted to do more face to face. So we've stopped doing them. We've just been doing in-house training. I'm still available for in-house training and consultancy, but we're going to do a um, managing for engagement training course. It will be four modules. You'll find more about it on the WebAptus website. So if you've got somebody in your organisation or two or three people who've been thinking actually they could do with some shot in the arm in terms of their management skills, this could be a solution that would suit them. So if that's relevant to you, please do visit the Actors website and find out more. Now onto our episode where we're going to talk to Teresa Rose all about learning pathways. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week I'm delighted to welcome Teresa Rose. She's an award-winning learning and performance consultant and the founder of Consult Her Limited. She's also someone who holds a master's in HR and a postgrad in psychology, organizational development and change. So she's a great person for me to turn to because she's also very, very experienced in all areas, learning and development, which I'm kind of out of practice at, although that was my background many, many years ago. So uh, Teresa, thank you for joining today. Thank you, great to be here. Thanks for asking me. So what I was, what we were talking about earlier, and one of the things I was thinking, I always like to demystify things. And we were saying there's that a whole grey area out there where there's lots of jargon to do with learning in particular, which I'm hoping you're going to demystify for me. <laughs> but um, the overall theme of this episode is going to be around learning pathways, what they are, what's important, how you do it, the ins and outs, the blockers, those sort of things. And the reason we thought we would talk about learning pathways is because I know that many, many organisations are really working on um, engagement, on career pathways is something that people feel passionate about. And that's not just in the last, the massive organisations, it's those smaller organisations. I know we've got lots of listeners helping people in you know, small and mid-sized organisations. How can you build um, a career pathway, a learning pathway, when you don't have a massive budget, right? Because this is all really key to engagement, retention, and morale out there. So 
that's what we're going to theme, isn't it, Teresa? And I thought I'd yeah. throw it open to you a little bit and just get you to explain what we might mean if someone talked about a learning pathway and how it might align with a career pathway or any of these other sort of jargon-esque terms. Yes. So learning pathways have become more prevalent over the last few years with the advent of learning experience platforms. So learning experience platforms were really about giving employees a much better consumer grade experience. The phrase the Netflix for learning was often used, but which isn't um, a good one. It's not about sitting there consuming lots of content, which a lot of them have been about. And you were talking about engagement and that's often the initial engagement stats that people will be looking at is well have people gone in and have they used the pathways but in this instance what you're also looking at is bringing together um like best of breed content from various sources things that you have internally things that you might bring in freemium could be paid for content that are around a particular topic and um, give people different levels of information and different like videos are often a, often a common piece in their articles and um, and giving them you know free access for people to be able to go into and use them as and when they want the dream I think the utopia was oh it's learning learning in the flow of work yeah. learning at the point of need um, I wouldn't say it's got to that um, there's still a lot of of uh, of work to do in in that space but initially that's that's the the vision for what learning pathways were so if i put it in in layman's terms so it's i want to learn a certain thing so it might be um i want to get better at my communication skills or i want to learn how to be a better manager or i want to learn some job specific skills or I want to go to the next level in my organization so I've got a learning purpose or something that I need to get to and it's about being able to access a whole range of content I want to use the word curated that's probably old school is it but you're saying no it's still no that's still very relevant and I think there's still a lot of um work work going on around that in learning and development it's like content curation how do you do good content curation because it's a skill Yes, a skill for learning and development to have alongside a a bigger blend, community management and all of those things. So it's thinking more from a programmatic um, way of thinking. So it's not just purely that content. It's like, well, how do you do peer to peer learning? How do you learn from one another in your organisation? How are you going to enable that? Uh, I think COVID um, pushed us further down with with the growth in digital learning further down that individualistic learning learning pathway and not yeah. enough of collaborative learning and I, I'm hoping that that will that will start to come back more now we can go face to face again so I've seen a growth in people wanting more face to face and a move away from digital yes so so you've got this I mean there's, there's so many things we can go into here. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'm going to touch on a couple of things, but perhaps we'll come to later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Which get interesting things because there is, as you said, there's a challenge in itself. You've got, it's all very well having an amazing um, learning experience platform or an LMS, but the reality is the majority of them will just have a, a big library of content that yes. it, the quality may differ and the relevance may differ. Um, and, you know, and not everybody gets everything they like from that. Um, will people even use it? So you've got that kind of angle of it. So there's a challenge there about having the best content or the right content, because that's a huge job, I would have thought, mapping the right content for what people potentially need so that they can select. And then there's the other thing about whether people are motivated to do it 
as well. So we'll talk about culture a bit later, perhaps. But perhaps before I go down that route, so you were talking there about um, how it feels. Let's go right to the So we're we're at L&D or HR in an organisation. We want to build some learning pathways to support people in a career pathway. Let's say we want to retain a certain skill set in the organisation particularly. We're not a massive organisation, so we almost need to manufacture a career pathway where people can see themselves growing. How would you go about aligning a, a kind of learning pathways it's, it's, I suppose in terms of because you've got to work out what the knowledge skills is it knowledge is it skills is it competence is it capability how would you uh, you know start with those aspects yeah I suppose the not knowledge side is what is it that people need to know and retain so there's a difference between knowledge that I need to be able to retain and also what's what's things that you could use as job aids uh, as as just just in time resources rather than expecting people to retain lots of information and overwhelming them so it's really thinking you talk about content is I say so many organizations that don't have a content plan or a content strategy and that's where they get this overwhelm and build up of content that's useless that's obsolete or they're spending money on things that aren't being used or they haven't done that real detailed analysis up front to establish what is it we need what's going to help solve the problem that we're looking at so and, a, bit, a content plan would be yeah. an example um I don't know, a small telecoms com- company and yeah. you to learn some um, role specific stuff slightly technical stuff would that have a bit with a content plan yeah because you would look at well what have we got already in the organization so you'd look at start looking firstly what resources have we got um what what dates have they got on them so it's similar to maybe like managing your hr policies so you'd have a you know a version control or a date and i i don't really see this a lot with with content management in learning and development it's also thinking around um how you might do that around a campaign as well so just as you would do with i do a lot of work with digital marketing so i'm actually currently doing a digital marketing qualification right. and uh, i'm a, a one of the the founding members of digital women so i've got a marketing background previously to hr as well and you think about when we're buying things we don't get vast amounts of content you might get that drip feed of well you've you've sent an email then you might go on the website then you might get a reminder email and it's it's very carefully thought about in terms of the user experience. And we don't really do that with learning and development. Even when we bring people into a room, we give them so much information and content. We don't consider how our brains work enough in in a lot in a lot a lot of the time and we just overwhelm people and expect them to come into a room and uh, and or go through a learning pathway and they've instantly retained it without supporting them with say peer-to-peer learning that's learning from each other in your organization without giving hints and tips without giving them ways to put that into practice so I think that's a lot of the gaps so that's what that like we have you kind of old school cheap dip where you kind of hope it's one size fits yeah. all kind of general yeah. course yeah. that you put everybody through and we're yeah. saying really this is a learning pathway would be more about filtering it down and maybe prioritizing it and putting a hierarchy um, in terms of the the content and the learning, maybe in terms of difficulty yeah. or relevance. But I mean, that's yeah. a huge amount of work. It's a hell of a lot easier, isn't it? It's just to run a yeah. tip. <laughs> it is. And that's why it happens yeah. because we're, we're pressured for time. Um, but I suppose there's a, there's a thing as well around doing, well, what difference is it making? 
So if you're putting people through and you worked out the the overall cost and if you did like an A-B test, it's like this is method A that we're going to use. Well, actually, we're going to try this as well. And this did or didn't make a difference and, and trying that out. And yeah, you've got all of these business pressures and we've got all of these economic pressures, but maybe doing less. <laughs> um less, and, and, focused, uh, less better yeah less less better yeah L less a lot better I don't think we need the volume of content and I and I don't so I gather evidence in organizations that I work with and often that's the thing is like the things that always come up is there's too much stuff I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be learning um make it easier for me to find things um I end up you know spending time looking looking for stuff and then I lose, I lose the will, and I, and I, I, I jump off, and I don't, I don't bother, and I go and do something else because people are, I find, you know, people say, well, they're not self motivated, but every time I do the research in organisations, the self motivation to learn is there, and often when I look at motivating factors, the motivating factors to be good at my job, to serve my customers well, to um, enhance my career, are far above things like earning more money. Yes. Um, uh, and people often say they like to learn for the sake of learning. So that motivation is there. I think, think we tend to put a lot of barriers in place that then demotivate people. Um, and we talk about L&D as an industry. And for me, an industry sounds like something that's always making something. Yeah, so rather than actually sort of, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's just pushing at people as yeah. opposed to responding to need, which is what we'd rather be, I guess. There, I was just yeah. I, what you made me think of there, which made me smile. Is my my dad used to say that I used to. This is going back pre-internet, mm -hmm. um, and I said, "Oh, you know, what's what's the capital of whatever, or what's the answer to X, Y, Z?" And my dad used to say, "Well, go and look it up." I said, "His smile was, you know, go and look it up. Let's look, you'll remember." Yeah. Why would I want to look it up when you can tell me? You know, and so the expedience and the interaction side of things has made me reflect on. <laughs> learning styles you and I were both on a podcast recently where yeah. we were learning styles that maybe um, are, are not everybody buys into but without a shadow of a doubt um, although I really quite like learning I, I was learning something this morning for a purpose because I was writing a webinar and I was yeah. like oh that's really interesting and and really wanted to get into it but it was the fact that I needed to learn for a purpose yeah an Im imminent purpose that I then was motivated to do it I'm not going to be motivated and I'm personally, um, you know, sort of e-learning on the whole, that's not, that's mm. a, it's quite a reflective style of learning. That's not necessarily my style of learning. And although it's way, 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 way better in many ways now, but having to go through something for 40 minutes in a quite a reflective fashion, I wouldn't choose to do that just for mm. the heck of it. I'd rather learn in a different way, which is kind of going off there. But I suppose that's going back to the fact that we need to give people a variety of options for yes. this. And this whole thing about, I mean, the panacea is, you know, learning, yeah, access to learning at the point at which you ask your question. But again, I suppose then that's linking back to you need to, for you to have a, a learning experience platform that's got these answers, you type in, how do I do X, Y, Z? You've got to have done the work. That is an industry. You've got to have done the work to identify that people are going to ask that question and have yeah. the answer in there or point people at it in the first place. So it's quite a big ask um, and I suppose particularly in a smaller organisation, because if you have got if you are a massive international organisation, you probably could identify yes. you know, questions yeah. and it's worth your while because enough people will benefit from that work and that industry. It does feel like an industry mm -hmm. to create it. Yeah. If you do that in a smaller organisation when, you, frankly, you're not going to have the, the work, to, you know, the resource to do it, how would you maybe manually or sort of 
um, support that kind of learning? I think the, the first port of call is always what's the internal knowledge. Uh, we, we often forget as about what, what we already know and what's available in people's heads and and getting that out because you, you'll have lots of resources, even if you're a small organisation, you have policies, you'll have whatever. And then it's like, we'll look at a way to organise that. And that might be something like Microsoft Teams. So if you're a small organisation, you're still probably going to be using some digital technologies. So you don't need to go out and buy a, a platform per se. It's also thinking about well, what, what data do you want? out of that so there are there are lots of ways because you've got some of these tools you've got free things like padlet or whatever that you could organize content into so there are lots of different free tools um and and also your internal tools that you already have that you could start to do do that with it's then it's then keeping it up to date and keeping it useful and usable um that that's some of the recommendations i'd start to make so what knowledge do we have how do we capture that knowledge where should we hold it who's going to be responsible for it who's going to update it and i guess you've also got to prioritize as well if you're in a small organization you can't do everything so no so what's the most important what's going to you know for whatever the purpose or the focus or the needs of the organization are what's going to be bring the what's what's the key area that we need to focus in i guess yeah, and it's also about, you know, sort of fun things as well. I've got um a good friend, um Karen Karen Bailey. We know each we 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 got to meet each other through working in the CIPD and she works for a smallish organization and their most popular content is a guy that goes out with a GoPro on his head and films the truck there it's a truck company. So he films how how he does the maintenance and what are the different parts, etc. And that by far is um the most valuable content they've got in their organization. Tell me that they have something to do with trucks. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so yeah, they do. They do. So they're they're a truck. I won't say who they are. Okay, but, few. Um, yeah, not a healthcare provider. Yeah, but that that that's a simple thing to do, and it's yeah. not going out and buying content. But you know, John John with his camera on, it's his daily job, and he's going around, and he's quite fun, and he enjoys doing it, and he enjoys sharing his knowledge. Yeah. that's a way to get into the knowledge, the the tacit knowledge that people have in their heads that's like youtubing how to do something isn't it and yeah it's, it's yeah like which we all do yeah. yeah and it's got yeah. that element of real human in as well so maybe yeah. that's quite nice we've got a real hum- human with personality it gives a bit more than yeah it's dry yeah yeah informal um, yes so there's something about prioritizing and we've talked a few things there about the sorts of content people might like um in terms of that understanding how to measure things um we talked a little bit about this before in terms of trying to I guess measure change in stuff in terms of um, skill development and how tricky that is. What, what's your take in terms of that? In, in terms of the opportunity we have to actually, if we did do an intervention, if we did invest in something, how could we actually demonstrate that people have learned something or their skills have improved? I mean, more broadly on on skills, I think the largest challenge is the fact that there are so many different methodologies that have been developed and are still being developed there are national there are some national frameworks there are different frameworks that some of the vendors are developing they all have very different definitions in them they all have very different um, proficiency levels or rubrics so some might have one to four some might have one to eight some might have one to seven and I think it's about thinking in your organisation where you need more objective data and where you can be happy with more subjective information. So where are you making maybe key decisions and you need to get a lot more information and is 
a scoring rubric that might be in one system, is that useful enough? Have you got a feedback culture where you can get more data from peers, from managers around someone's ability and skill? And also, I think we often forget our external clients or customers a smaller organization might have trust pilot that they use or whatever and they might be getting customer feedback but how do you go about using that as part of your your learning data as well uh, we often forget about our you know clients external clients and gathering stakeholder input from them so i guess so, so there's two things talked about there that mm. so this the second one i'm more familiar with but i can visualize because it feels more like a 360 feedback so if yeah. you yeah, yeah, so if you've yeah. got a 360 feedback tool or something like that and you've defined yeah. what the behaviours or, I guess, capabilities, as long as they're observable, uh, yes. then yeah. um, you can have a, a score, you can have to set questions and that relate to them and have scores on them and someone can self-report, but you can also go out and, and see how objective that is or sort of uh, moderate that by getting different groups of people whether it's external employees whether it's line manager whether it's peers or yeah. or team members whatever so that is a feedback tool um instantly we have one of those uh, that you can put your own <laughs> in, um, <laughs> access 360. um but the feedback tool that works but when you're talking about this term rubrics forgive my invention yes. are we talking about things like i don't know and um like a print of the you know the, the external sort of profession has gone out of my head are we yes. just talking about yeah. like yeah. yeah, it might be even like the languages. You get a languages rubric, so CEFR. I don't know the, what the what acronym means, but it's used in Duolingo, for example. So it's looking at your how proficient you are in in a language by a description that says, "Well, if I'm basic, I'm mostly doing this," and it's described. Uh, same okay. with so it's got like an advanced yeah so that would be like your rubric that you would set up so it's, so it's a scoring metric. rubric externally it, it could be one that you create internally because right. if it's more meaningful for you um you might have like like maybe off the shelf competencies so for example the cipd uh or it could be another professional body like institute yeah. of marketing will have different professional levels or they might have a capability map and there's content within there that says what you should be working at and that helps them with things like you were talking about earlier career paths so i might be taking the statements from these because i'm in a professional body of yes. some description and then i would be working towards and that helps me with my development and my plan and my career pathing because I might want to get to a certain level in human resources and a lot of your your listeners probably be familiar with CIPD and and the different level in there so that does help give a framework but if there isn't one that exists you could look at some of those methodologies and take that those principles and apply them to something that makes sense for your organization or particular career path. Yes, yeah, so I'm thinking with decisions like project management, aren't there external projects? Yes, I understand that makes sense. And if there isn't, then you almost have to try and create something for mm-hmm. if it's a specific skill, but it's that objectivity of, of that yeah. skills that you'd, you'd be able to look at and knowledge in that. Okay, great. So um, that, that's, I think that's useful in terms of understanding what the framework is and, and some of the um, messaging on that. Mm. We touched on this a moment ago, didn't we? A little bit in terms of motivation for someone to learn, even though people yes. say they're motivated to learn, but are they motivated to learn? Um, and what yeah. maybe helps and hinders in that area? We talked a bit earlier about culture and th- things. I don't know whether there's, what, what's your view in terms of how we can 
you know, because some people might say, actually, I really love learning, but I'm too busy doing the day job. Or is yeah. there anything about the culture? How we, can we actually genuinely create a learning culture? What's your take on that? I, I think time time always comes out as the barrier. And I wonder how big an excuse that really is. Because like if you if you really do want to learn something, you will you will take the time. But it's also the organisation thinking, well, if we want to increase our capability and capacity of our organisation, are we going to make this time for people to practice? So I think the the challenge with the, the reskilling and upskilling is often we're going to be looking at people having to do that really on the job because of labour shortages, talent shortages. And how are you going to give the type, people both the um, the chance to fail, that that not that learning through failure and not expecting that they're going to get it right straight away, but also to practice yeah. and to, re- to reinforce and to get coached through it in the work. And I very much like the approach. So some work I've done with a previous client is really looking at how I build new ways of and uh, into general workflows so looking at people's end-to-end days where would you insert things in if you want people to be better at communicating in how would you make their meetings different so how could you go in and observe and think well actually I could slot this this job aid or this toolkit in here to help them and then once they've got used to using that they don't need to refer to it anymore so it, it might be how to do something really unusual or different in the meeting that they've not done and make it more collaborative. That's that's the way I like to look at things is really be in people's daily reality and, and work. And so that is quite different from, yes. um, I mean, that's almost that kind of, that's almost what a learning experience pathway or learning experience platform is trying to do, but is, you know, that's a digital it, approach. Yeah. Where you can't, you can't, I mean, real stuff, real human um and sunday that, that's not easy to replicate by a no. robot or ai so in terms of that sort of thing so some, it's almost like a common sense approach though it's just being a little bit creative about putting things into the way of working getting people to think about just take a step back from their usual behavior and think how could we do that and I, that, that's yeah. interesting because i think when i've often thought when i've talked to people in my background and i do think you know managers coaching or getting people to swap or shadow there's all sorts of things you can do that don't cost anything yeah. But you just got to think a little bit differently um, and make it happen. It's just got to be a bit of a will um, from an organisational level. The, the manager's got to let it happen. The other people got to let it. It's got to become a cultural acceptable thing. Um, yet sometimes there's resistance to it, isn't there? I don't know. Have you got a view on how how you can address that or, or why there is resistance to it when it seems to be such obvious common sense? You know, learning yeah, learning languages. We we don't like to be told that. You know, we're, we're bad at anything you know, people often don't like that feedback or it, it's how it's um framed so it's it's looking at well how can you how can you frame that in a way of what's in it for them so often people you know all good stakeholders will come to you and say i've got a problem with that so you know so and so isn't managing their time well need to send them on a time management course and it's something i use the phrase if you for certain certain as you might be aware of the program called the children's program called mr ben yeah and I call it like the Mr. Ben syndrome. So Mr. Ben's this normal guy that lives on Acacia Avenue and he goes to this dress shop and he goes in the room and he puts these clothes on and off he goes and he has an adventure. But he comes back, he takes the, the clothes off and he goes back up Acacia Avenue and he's Mr. Ben again and his life's the same. And I often think that's very similar with learning. So we'll go off on these experiences or we might go through a learning pathway if it's online. 
but then what actually changes yeah it's just so it's just so easy to shift back to the way we were doing things so putting those these things like you know behavioral science and nudge theory and putting those things in place even if it's signs in an office or in a or in a in a on a wall somewhere or something that people can use that's reusable in a room in a meeting room uh, how to how to conduct your your meeting and you know a little video or something that you send them out uh you know something fun online that you've yeah. found there there's lots of ways to start to do it and encourage people that's smaller things if it's a bigger thing then it is more coaching i i look i look at organizational development in like an organizational coach yeah. i look at it through that lens and you have to very much think about yourself as the intervention and there's a, a lot of work in organizational development about self as instrument and even if you're not in organizational development it might be something to start to look at so how do you in your conversations with your stakeholders with the people that you're wanting to change because that's what learning and development is generally is generally about is how do you show up how do you have um those conversations how do you how do you you do you manage more challenging conversations how do you ask questions and be curious because that's one of the best things to do rather than tell because if you start to ask questions and reflect things back and that's why I say you then you start to build those relationships and the trust to be able to support and 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 help with that change that's where I've definitely had the most impact and doing with rather than to so where we where I've worked on co-creation working with managers working with employees because often they'll know they'll say what the issues are and then you say well if we work together on this and we look at it together and it's collaborative then they've got ownership of it as well so I think they, they would be some of the key things that I would say to look at doing and I mean, and the, the, the bottom line is, and I say I've got listeners here that they don't have an L&D professional in their organisation. Yes. They are the HROD L&D. Yes. It's perhaps it's seeing yourself as that intervention and yes. maybe trying to carve yeah. out some time for you not doing the doing the operational stuff. I mean, this is where uh, it's, it's everyone feels busy, doesn't it? And often the operational yeah. stuff stops us from doing the stuff that actually um can make more difference but you've got to um think longer term and have that space that that space to go listen and coach and create those opportunities to have a longer term impact um which often i know is easier said than done but it is that kind mm. of 80 20 isn't it that's that prioritizing some of that type of investment of time will actually make a huge difference in terms of taking people forwards Yes. So, I mean, as much as you can do, which doesn't take people away from the work, if it's if it's a, a you know something very, very big that they're going to learn, and, and that's often like more of a qualification that they might be, that's very different. Yeah. But if we're looking at the operational of the operational way of the organisation and day to day, then there's lots that you can do along those lines that I've mentioned. Yes. And I think the other thing, if I was in a small organisation, the way I'd look at it is look at the line managers who are that way inclined um because that could be a development for them if you get if you get yeah. coaching qualification yeah. you teach them how yeah. to coach and but give them a specific role or a, which is about developing people so it's not just sitting with hr it is something where we're all in it and you agree ways in which people you know cross mentoring and things like that that it can be disseminated because it can't all sit with one person can it yeah, and the line managers are so often forgotten and they're such a, and all the research shows how pivotal they are in learning transfer. And when I do my 
researching organisations, often the, the managers are very good at having conversations about the learning that's needed. But then again, I'm going back to that point of how do you then practice it in the in the inside the organisation and in your work? That's often where man the percentages will drop off. And when I have yeah. discussions with people, I know my manager's happy to send me on a on this or this, but then doesn't help me to put it into practice or give, doesn't give me the time to put it into practice. Yeah. Or doesn't even just coach me because they don't have to be an expert. Just actually know yeah. what how can you use it? Just some basic coaching questions to get people to think about it. Okay, so we've covered quite a lot of stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> we have. Uh, we've rushed through quite a few things there. So um let's summarize that we so we've talked about. Um, I guess learning pathways which isn't as big a jargon as anything else I suppose it's just like working no. out what do you need to do to learn so, so how do you learn something how do you increase your skill or competence or um, uh, knowledge in a certain area um, in line with the purpose that you need you might need to yep. do with, um, things like that and we didn't we managed to avoid the talent marketplace like the talent really? it's linked to talent isn't it yes and so so we've got that so we talked about that um, we've talked about the role of LXPs, learning experience platforms or LMS, and the challenge it is, it's not as easy as just having a um, content there, is that, is that actually if you want to help people with that, do you have someone who understands how to diagnose the needs along a certain line? Yes. Potentially, I suppose, if it is, we talked about um, external, if, there, if it's something like a, an external rubrics you talk about which is the structure of, of something yeah. it's yes. not CIPD because they'd have the same ones but whether it's um yeah. it's something something which is externally validated actually I think about NHS they've got loads of pathways haven't yeah. they then you could go and refer to something like that which might structure it and actually probably quite a lot of the stuff's out there as well um if yeah. it is an externally validated look look what's out there um in terms of culture and motivation well, I think that's a bigger topic. <laughs> We've kind of gone around yeah. the edges, but fundamentally, um, line managers play a part in it. We play a part yeah. in it yeah. to encourage people. It's about listening. It's about diagnosing. Um, it's about helping people to help themselves uh, in terms of, of that sort of learning pathway. And with that, uh, n not letting the busyness necessarily be the excuse that it can be and how do we get that motivation but again probably the line manager is going to help us and helping people see a link to where they can go through the organization so culturally how can we um emphasize that that's the right thing to do is there anything you want to add there Teresa? oh um what, like a top a top tip Oh, yeah, a top tip. I, I think it goes back to what what knowledge have you already got inside your organization both people content and start start there yes. and maybe do some sort of audit um of of what what you have already and how you might organize that better than it already is that's a really good one i remember i worked for siemens and i remember they say if only siemens knew what siemens know yes is that kind of, is there so much yeah it is <laughs> yeah yeah start start there yeah that's your content plan thing absolutely find out what we've yeah. got make sure it's relevant make sure people can access yeah. it start simple because yeah. it may be that you've solved a lot of those problems it's just that people don't know where yeah. to look um and, that, and then look at the design of those things as well so you can start redesigning them in a much more user-friendly way yeah uh than than you know let less words more images with text and visuals than lots and lots of text that you provide you know, maybe how could you digitize them if they're not if they're more analog in, in with tools that you've already got in your organization so things like canva that's like 10 pounds a, a month to use yeah 
and, and you can quickly quickly create an infographic of something and take the text from that and make it far more user friendly. Yes, yes, that's a good tip. Yeah, I can use Canva. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so if anyone, want, if um, people want to get hold of you, how would they? How would they find you? Um, my company website is a good place because then it's got links to my Twitter and LinkedIn for my business and for myself. I'm a bit quieter on LinkedIn at the moment because I've got heads down doing a lot, lot of work. Um, but often I'll, I'll post uh, information on, on LinkedIn. And if you go over my previous posts, there's lots of things I'll post that are free there as well. You know, really useful free resources to use. So that's where you can find me. Lovely. Thank you so much for joining me today on the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you, Cinder. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.